0: Welcome to Adapt Nation, the podcast that dives into all things self-optimization and self-discovery, helping you be your best inside and out. I'm your host, Steve Katarzy, and today we are going to hear a remarkable story of recovery from cancer. A grade 4 glioblastoma in particular, which is a late-stage brain tumor, considered one of the most aggressive and terminal of all cancers. The person retelling this story is Logan Sneed. You're going to hear my introduction of Logan in just a moment. And i tell you what, what I love about this story is the hope it offers. Hope that, even with a death sentence of a diagnosis such as a late stage brain tumor, there is a chance that life might just be fine. In actual fact, not just fine, but a life post-surgery that is infinitely better than before. Logan is vibrant, energetic, highly capable, and has achieved an impressive amount at such a young age. And all of it, post-surgery. So in this chat, you can expect us to cover the moment Logan realized there was an egg-sized mass in his brain, and handling that news of not being able to potentially speak or hear again. We talk about the emotional and fearful journey that he and his parents went through And we speculate on some of the probable causes of this brain tumour at such a young age. I ask if Logan suffers from any post-surgery side effects and if there is any cancer regrowth. And then we get into why Logan is such a strong advocate for the ketogenic diet. As well as why is Logan so sincerely grateful for his cancer. And I get sincerely curious about what emotional support and guidance there is for those struggling with a diagnosed cancer. Plus, of course, some other bits and pieces thrown in there as you can expect from me. So look, if you or someone you know is looking for some hope and guidance, having recently been diagnosed with cancer, this episode should help. But that's not the only use case. The fight, belief and action behind Logan's story is relevant to us all. Overcoming struggles, being grateful for our struggles, and turning negatives into positives is a superpower we should all look to develop. Hey, I do hope you enjoy this one. And if you do, I do hope you're able to leave a short five-star rating on your podcast app. That would be such a gift. And I'd be deeply, deeply grateful for your support. All right, let's do this already. We have Logan Sneed on the mics talking about his story of overcoming brain cancer. okay guys so today we've got a guy by the name of Logan Sneed on the mics now Logan went from being a high school athlete to having a cancerous stage four terminal brain tumor overnight he was informed that survival was improbable and at best his life would be permanently altered with his hopes and dreams ripped away from him Since then, this guy has undergone surgery, um, by the looks of things, gone through a remarkable recovery, demonstrates relentless drive, and is using diet and lifestyle to combat future disease. This guy is a fitness entrepreneur, he's a beacon of hope and courage, and most recently an author of a book that retells his story called Thank You Cancer. Logan, my man, welcome on the show
1: man Steve thank you so much for having me on here i I'm, I'm really excited
0: where are you calling from right now
1: I was about to ask you the same exact question <laughs> <laughs> uh i'm uh, I'm here in Austin Texas in cool. the United States
0: and is that where you're permanently based
1: uh correct yes I've lived here actually forever
0: okay because I, I see you you taking footage on your YouTube across the us parts of California so I'm guessing you kind of you have to travel quite a bit
1: uh, yeah, well, I was just actually in LA for a book signing uh, a few days ago, and then I'll be back in San Diego for um, a uh, an invite little you know get together party and in, uh, in about next month. So I'm kind of going all over the place, but Austin is my is my home base.
0: Got it, got it. Well, exciting times, um, releasing a book, and we'll we'll get to that uh, I guess in a little bit through our discussion. So, look, you know, adaptation is all about being your best. It's about self discovery and self optimization. And having a discussion with someone who has undergone quite a bit of suffering, uh, both mentally and physically, I think is part of our story, of understanding how to overcome those trials and tribulations. So I think it'd be great to start really from the beginning, Logan. But what I mean by the beginning is maybe you can retell your story from the moment you were diagnosed with um, your brain tumour, what that diagnosis was, and then maybe we can rewind a little further back from that, looking back retrospectively and trying to piece together maybe the symptoms or lifestyle factors that kind of led you to that path. Because I'm guessing there's quite a bit of a story to that.
1: Yeah, yeah, there's, you know, definitely a full story kind of from point A to B to C to D all the way to Z. Um, But as far as like the diagnosis, you know, I was diagnosed almost exactly four years ago um, with the stage four glioblastoma brain tumor. Um, and if those, if for anybody who doesn't know what that is, um, glioblastoma tumors are known as the world's most deathly cancer out there. Um, a lot of people don't talk about it because it's one of those things that like, it's kind of scary to talk about and nobody wants to really accept it. Um, and so that's what I was diagnosed with. And um, it was it was a shocking moment in my life where, you know, I want people to visualize, you know, basically feeling great one day and then in a matter of seconds their entire life there's an entire 180 right like a, a literal 180 where it goes from going incredible to now horrifically devastating to where you basically just got a life sentence in a matter of seconds and I felt like I added 100 100 pounds of weight on my back and I had to walk with that weight on my back for you know weeks and weeks and so yeah I'll never forget walking out of there feeling hopeless feeling like I'm Taking up energy in the world, like I'm wasting time, I'm wasting money, you know, like what's the point of me being here? Um, and that was, you know, a very life changing moment for sure.
0: And how did it come about that you got diagnosed in the first place? Like, what what led you to that appointment with your doctor?
1: Yeah, so it was a it was one day. I it was the most random day of my life. Again, there's not nothing planned at all. Um, I was actually headed to the gym. I was feeling really good. I set some new goals to start shredding down some body fat. Um, I was feeling great and I was on a spring break trip. Well, not spring. It was, it was spring break while I was in college and I was back at home. And, um, I was actually going to college with my girlfriend that I dated in high school. And, uh, we came back and I was going to the gym and I was like, you know what? I'm in such a good mood. Let me just FaceTime my girlfriend. And, uh, I've never FaceTimed and drove the car at the same time in my entire life. And I decided to do it that one day, right? I had no clue why I decided to, but I did it. And so I was FaceTiming her. And as I was FaceTiming her, um, suddenly I started slurring my words, right? Like I literally had words in my mouth that I wanted to say to her. I couldn't say them. I knew in my head exactly what I was trying to say, but I physically couldn't say the words. It was the weirdest feeling I've ever had in my life. Um, And she thought it was like a joke and she kind of started laughing. And um and I was like, I, 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 I was, it was crazy. I mean, I, that was almost a mimic of what I, what I was talking about. But, um, <laughs> suddenly as that's happening, right. Like I started having a seizure, um, and I've never had a seizure in my entire life. And so I've, it's never even come up one bit at all. And, um, she witnessed the seizure. So as I'm driving, I'm having a seizure and she's witnessing it through the phone as I'm FaceTiming her. And, um, I was driving by myself. And so, you know, I drove half a mile unconscious and thankfully, um, I mean, it was a blessing that I drove, I just drove off of the road into a little bit of a ditch and there was actually no car damage, no injury, no nothing. Um, and thankfully she knew where I was going. So because she knew where I was going, she was able, they were able to call the uh, the ambulance um, to come and, and, you know, obviously, you know, get me out of there. And so they took me to the hospital and they took me in there and my parents, you know, obviously went in there, everyone was in there. You know, what guys, you know, the doctors saying, well, what's going on with him? Is, is, is he on drugs? Is he like, you know, coked up? What, what's he doing? And they're like, no, he's never done drugs in his life. Like you guys can test him and he's never done anything. And obviously they tested me. There's nothing there. And um, everyone's like clueless, like what the heck is going on? And so they found out that they said, well, we may have to look into his head. There may be something in there that could potentially be the cause of this. So I got an MRI. Um, And it came back as a a mass, right? And so basically what it was is a, for those that don't know, a mass is just kind of a neutral ball, if that makes any sense. It's just something that's taking up space. And so they said, okay, well, it looks like a mass. We don't know if it's a tumor or a benign tumor or just a mass, but we'll have to talk to a neurologist to see what this is. So talk to a neurologist. Neurologist said, okay, this is somewhat looking like a potential tumor. We may need to get this removed. We don't know if it's cancerous. We don't know if it's benign, but we will have to get this removed. And so it led me to a brain surgeon. Um, The brain surgeon that I met here in Austin, actually, um, he told me as soon as I met him, he said, hey, um, you know, doing this surgery, you probably won't be able to speak or hear ever again um, once this surgery is done. Um, So that was just kind of like a, you know, another shot to the chest of like, hey, uh, your life's almost pointless again. Um, You know, and so I was like, wow, I mean, is this even worth it? Like, this is just crazy. And so that led us to actually talking to a new brain surgeon. Um, and we got connected with the number one brain surgeon in the world named Dr. Raymond Sawaya, who is in Houston, Texas. And I asked him the question and said, hey, Dr. Sawaya, like, am I going to be able to speak or hear after the surgery? And he said, Logan, he said, if I'm doing the surgery, don't worry about it. I got you. It's a, it's going to be fine. And obviously, he did a great job, as you can tell, being here on the podcast. Um, And uh, he removed the whole tumor. So he removed 100% of the tumor in the surgery. The the surgery was uh, seven and a half hours long. And um, they woke me up in the middle of the surgery. And the reason they woke me up in the middle of the surgery is so that I could, um, they wanted to test to see if I could still speak or hear, right? If they got to a point where I kind of started stuttering, they would end the surgery early and they would leave the remaining uh, remains of the tumor in there. Um, And so they would leave it there because they didn't want to take away the whole capability, but thankfully they removed the whole thing. So they removed hundred percent of it. And for those that are curious, it was the size of an egg. So literally was the perfect egg is what it was Um, exactly like that. And so they got that whole thing out and, you know, um, I recovered rapidly fast. You know, I think that has to do with maybe age and my overall, you know, approach to fitness and that sort of stuff. But um, two weeks later, that's when the diagnosis came back. And that's, you know, really where struck it, you know, struck it all. And my life changed forever uh, when that diagnosis came in. So
0: there was a benign or considered benign tumor that they had to get rid of. They engaged fairly rapidly with surgery. And then afterwards, once they were able to do some kind of post-surgery review of the the tumor they're able to confirm it was it was a cancer is, is that right i've got that that's
1: uh, correct it was actually a cancerous tumor the whole time they just didn't know by looking at the first mri like basically they just didn't know unless they got it removed right um and so yeah they just called it a mass just as like a neutral sort of thing that's just kind of their way of saying like hey we can't tell you it's cancerous we can't tell you it's not cancerous um we'll never know until we actually remove it and so Obviously, they removed it, and yeah, it was the uh, glioblastoma.
0: And was it was it absolutely essential from all the advice that you were given that you had to have surgery?
1: Uh, yes. Like that was, looking at it like a, a different, uh, you know, a neurologist is a little bit different than a neuro-oncologist, and the neuro-oncologist was one who looked at it and said, yeah, this is something I would really recommend getting this removed ASAP. Um, and that had to do because of the size of it, um, potentially the locations of it. Um, but he was like the, the, the surgeon I talked to Raymond Sawaya, um, thankfully, I mean, he, he literally saved my life. He he said, Logan, like, we're going to have to have surgery tomorrow. Um, this is something we need to get out as soon as possible because it it may seem like it's growing rapidly fast and we want to get this gone. And so, yeah, it it was literally as soon as I met the guy the next morning at six o'clock, I was in, I was in my stretcher and ready to go for brain surgery.
0: How did you, your your mum, yeah, or your, generally your parents, your family, uh, your partner at a time. How are you processing this?
1: Yeah, man. I mean, like you know, my parents are very, very tough. Um, so I can't tell you that they were like bawling their eyes out because they're very, very tough in in the sense of like you know, if, if my parents are there bawling their eyes out, I probably would follow them and do the same, you know. And so they really just gave that strength to me and to themselves of like mm. you know really being confident in this process and. It's kind of, it's not funny, but the night before, you know, we were also just like, you know, la, 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 like nothing bad is going to happen. We're, you know, just, you know, great people and nothing bad is going to happen to us. So we don't need to worry about it. We actually, like that night before brain surgery, I went out to eat with uh, my girlfriend, my family, and my girlfriend's family, Um, not in like celebration, but just like a little get together sort of thing. And that was the night before brain surgery. And then obviously, that morning brain surgery that's when kind of like all right okay now we're here like this is actually going to happen um so yeah i mean it was really like the surgery was a little bit less intense than the diagnosis once the diagnosis came in that's really when things really started sparking of like okay we got to do something about it my parents are not people who are going to sit and you know sob and like you know think about how horrible their life is. They're going to go out and they're going to change and they're going to figure out what they can do. And that's literally what they have given me. And because of that, um, sure, you know, my, I mean, I haven't seen my parents, you know, hiddenly crying, which I'm sure they've probably been doing it at some point. But they've had that mindset of continually going and figuring out what we can do. And that's what's given them the strength and then what's given me the strength and the confidence in this process.
0: And Logan, I mean, we're, <laughs> this is a bit of a rhetorical question, but, you know... Were you shitting yourself?
1: Uh, Yeah, I was shitting myself a lot. (laughs) (laughs) I I,
0: I can't even... I can't even put myself (laughs) in your position to understand... You know, it's your brain for God's sake, right? This is this is you know, this is life and death. This is critical. One one false move, or, or generally, we, you know, you're going into the abyss, right? We don't know enough to feel absolutely confident that when you touch or engage with that grey matter, that it's going to end well. I mean, ha- yeah. how how were you kind of processing that? Because it sound like you had to you had to just get on with it pretty quickly and just say yes and comply to the surgery and just go for it, but. God I I don't know how I would how I would process that because my brain is everything right it's my whole yeah. life and knowing it potentially might be snatched away from you man that must have been pretty scary
1: Oh, yeah I mean it definitely was scary and I think I think what what really like man I got to say this like if anybody could meet the guy the brain surgeon that I was able to work with you would understand his personality to where you know he's not a perfect human right no one on earth is perfect But literally the confidence that he gave me before going into a life or death brain surgery basically gave me so much hope, right? Like he's, he had such a calming, confident mentality. He literally was saying like, Logan, like, look, dude, I'm different than that other brain surgeon. Okay. Like I got you. Don't worry about it. Okay. It's going to go well. And he said that word for word. The other one said, oh yeah, you know. You know, you, you. I mean, I don't know if you'll be able to speak here after this. I mean, it's, I'm I'm not really sure, but you know, we'll have to see. You know, most likely, you probably won't. You probably won't be able to. But mm-hmm. you know, we'll do our best. And that's just two different humans basically talking. It's like they're in the same approach, but they have two different mindsets. And because I was able to work with you know Raymond Sawai, he gave me that confidence, and that really just brought me so much. It really just cut off so much stress intense, ten, you know, tension in that. But of course, I still was obviously very skeptical and very unsure about the whole thing. But he really gave me a lot of that hope. Well,
0: that's that's incredible, man, that you, you got someone in your life that one was technically capable, but two could exude that confidence to calm you down because hey, stress is a killer in its own right. And uh giving oh, yeah. you that confidence to go into this um must have been massive, man. Let's rewind just a little bit then. So you I'm, there's more questions. There's loads of questions coming through my mind right now. Yeah. But one of the things I want to understand is, obviously, you had that kind of seizure moment that really was, you know, the start and end of this process, right? But what about before? I mean, had, had this just come out of absolutely nowhere? Looking back and maybe kind of trying to piece together and like connect the dots or can you see circumstances in your life that may have been giving you clues that you'd be dealing with some kind of mass in your brain that's potentially dealing, you know, causing some cognitive dysfunction or something that's kind of making you feel off?
1: Yeah, yeah, good question. So I asked the doctors, hey, do you guys know like what, what the cause of this is? They said, No, we have we have no idea. This is not in your DNA. There's no family history of this. We have no idea. Um, in I've put together the pieces with other doctors on what the cause of all this could have been and what, what has been. Um, and the reason for all of this is the fact that, you know, I'll kind of go back six years, right? So the tumor was six years old in my head. So I had no idea the tumor was there for six years. I had no clue. Now I will say this for six years straight, starting in sixth grade, all the way up till my, my middle of my sophomore year in high school, right? Like, I was having headaches every single day. I was having se- – over over the years, it got worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. But I was having severe headaches every day. And I, I never looked much into it because I thought headaches were normal. And they are normal, but the, you know, there's different reasons for headaches. And I was getting horrible headaches. And I would literally just kind of do everything I can to brush it off every day and just say, like, hey, it's normal. You're good to go. Forget it. And I was trying to be Mr. Tough guy. And obviously that didn't really work out that well. Um, And uh, looking back, the causes of when I was six years before, before we found out about it, I had a severe injury in a basketball game. So for those that don't know what taking a charge is, it's basically where you're standing there ready for somebody to run you over, you know, in a basketball game. And um, this guy was trying to go up and dunk. And I was going to be the one guy who's going to take the hit and not let him dunk. So, I, uh, he goes up and I actually get elbowed in the eye. And then as I'm coming down, my head gets plowed down to the ground through his foot. So my head is like halfway down coming down and boom, his foot smashes my head into the ground. Um, and that right there caused a severe, uh, my eye was swollen shut for about a week to two weeks, um, on the left side of my brain, the temporal lobe area. And that was a severe injury that potentially could have sparked a little baby tumor in my head because yes, injuries can really cause tumors. Um, and so that was the first variable right there. The next variable that comes up is that I was, you know, going into high school, I wanted to be the most swole guy there. I wanted to be the best athlete. I want to have the most muscle. I want to be the most athletic. So I did whatever the heck I could. And I was eating about three to 4,000 calories a day. I was eating about 300 grams of carbs a day. I was doing, you know, sugar out the wazoo. I was doing thousand calorie sugary protein smoothies. And, um, I was eating, you know, um, 1000 calorie, uh, Austin tacos and burritos and everything. And, um, I was doing everything I can to gain that size. And I definitely did that, but that was also a cause of growing the tumor. Um, and that was a huge, 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 huge cause of it, um, for the tumor growth. And then another variable coming into it is I wouldn't have I would do severe overtraining. I would train twice a day, five, six, seven days a week. I would have basketball games. I would, I mean, I would do everything. And then if you add to that, um, my recovery was not most amazing because I would still force myself to wake up at 5 a.m. and get the work done. Um, And then if you add to that as well, um, when I was in, you know, middle school and high school, you know, in the high school and middle school life, I was doing, you know, phone calls with, you know, girlfriends at the time. Uh, I was doing like two hour phone calls to my brain to the left side of my head. So I was drilling my phone into my brain every single day. And, you know, I really just, I want, I, I'm not trying to scare people, but, you know, EMF, which is in phones, causes tumors. That's the number one cause of tumors is EMF. And that's what we're getting from our laptops, our phones, our TVs, our, our all those sort of things. And the phone was definitely, definitely a spark for my tumor. So you kind of put all those variables together that's
0: how I got my tumor, basically. Mm. Okay. Okay. Obviously there's there is speculation in in your voice. I can hear that, but there's there's some decent reasoning behind it, right? You know, there was a, a trauma that could have caused some some or definitely would have caused some injury. That injury could have been, you know, the instigator behind some kind of malform malformation. From there, you're fueling the fire with lots of kind of inflammatory a chronic amount of sugar and carbs and we know that that can feed cancer growth and just general proliferation of malfunctioning cells and then on top of that you know you're just eating too much food generally speaking probably not having the most decent of nutrition with some of the choices you're making um and your you've got emf that could be a play you add all of that together mm-hmm. on a, on a young fit non traumatized individual you'd probably been okay, maybe have some kind of disease risk in the future. But when you add that all together, it sounds like potentially it was the perfect storm over a period of years.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Definitely
0: was. Okay. Okay. So that that's kind of the best speculation you've got got to that and that the headaches you said you had for six years. I mean, at, at, was there ever any thought to look into that uh, medically, or was that just something you you had to deal with with painkillers and, as you say, just brushing it off?
1: Yeah, I mean, it was really just painkillers, brushing it off. And I think we did go one one once or twice to like asking, you know, why he's got such bad headaches. And I'm not saying doctors are bad because they're not bad, obviously. But you know, I've had doctors say, now it's just we'll give him some Advil, he'll be fine." You know, it's just it's just normal. You know, it is what it is. And it ain't like, normal oh. man ain't normal okay. to have a six year headache. Yeah. It just ain't, is
0: it? So. Like, on on reflection, <laughs> yeah. right? You you wouldn't say that to to your son or daughter if they were. And that's not just oh, because of your experience. Yeah. You just know, like you know, a headache here or there, yeah. But a headache perpetually for years. There's there's something going on there.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm.
0: Okay, man. Um, so thank you for sharing your that story so far, man. And, and I appreciate yeah. just you know openness and honesty. Um, talk to me about side effects. Uh, whether it be immediately after surgery or anything that you're dealing with now as a result of both invasive surgery and just generally having a tumor, so having, having a piece of you removed uh, and then potentially any kind of ongoing kind of cancerous kind of activity. Do you deal with any cognitive impairment or any other kind of health side effects as a result of what you've gone through?
1: Uh, no, no, actually, I feel better than I ever, ever have in my life. I'm really? significantly more productive. I feel on a level 100 as far as my energy every day, my cognitive function. I'm, I feel a million times better than I ever have in my life. There's absolutely been no tumor regrowth for four years. Um, and I truly believe there will never be tumor regrowth. Um, my diet has done a whole 180. Um, and I now have done the ketogenic diet for four years. Um, and That's kind of part of the story where I was able to find out a way to combat this and fight this, prevent tumor regrowth. And um, I've been doing it for four years and I have had no side effects, no reoccurrence, not a single headache, not a single question of if it's working or not. Um, We've done MRIs every four months and we're going to continue doing it and nothing is there. And I mean, it's just been the most amazing results I possibly could ever be given. That is incredible man.
0: So the recovery's been fairly rapid but you took a fairly drastic lifestyle decision post surgery as well. What made you do that? What made you think okay the you know a low carb or a ketogenic lifestyle needs to needs to be supplemented into everything else I'm doing to aid recovery and to you know thwart further regrowth. What made you jump to that conclusion?
1: Yeah, you know I felt super super hopeless and then I was like, there's got to be something out there that I can probably do, right? Like the doctor said, no, we can't do anything, you know, and the doctor said, you know, we'll do chemotherapy and radiation, and that's about it. That's just the generic, you know, that's just the generic little, um, not, it's, yeah, yeah, generic response, right? Like that's all they're going to say.
0: And did did you do chemo and radiation?
1: I did. I did. So I did uh, oral chemo. So for those that are curious, uh, brain cancer patients do oral chemo, not like, you know, breast cancer, chemo or any of that sort of stuff, because you're basically walking into a a time bomb zone, right? And you cannot take a bad step. And if you take one bad step in that in that in that bomb zone, whatever, then the whole thing will blow up. And you want to make sure you're taking the right steps. And so that's kind of why going into this, you can't go full throttle at the brain and just like radiating Mm. the whole thing times a hundred and you know, just you know, bombarding it with chemo times a million. You can't do that. So you got to go at it careful. So yeah, I did oral chemo. I did radiation. Um, and one day I was down here in Austin actually with a good friend of mine, um, who was, who was definitely a life mentor of mine, even for this whole situation. Um, and he was just, we were ac- actually a- out there paddle boarding and he was, you know, just trying to pick my brain apart, how I, you know, see how I felt, what I'm feeling like. And, uh, he said, have you heard of this keto diet thing? I said, no. I was like, I was like, what the heck is that? And he was like, well, it's a high-fat, medium-protein, low-carb diet, and they've had very successful research on glioblastoma brain tumors and the ketogenic diet. And I was like, "Really?" He was like, "Yeah, I would really look into this because I think this could be something for you." So I left that. I left that paddleboarding, you know, uh, adventure. I went home and I started doing research on this thing. And this is, by the way, when keto was so new; it was almost before ke- keto was even born, basically, where no one knew what the heck it was. And um, I. Stand up till like 3 a.m. that night, just like looking at what this is, how it could work. And the next day I started it and I didn't even stop one time. So it's been four years. I've never had a single non-keto meal. I've never been off of keto. Um, I've done everything possible to prevent it from coming back. And like I said, I feel better than I ever have. Um, I lost 50 pounds and I've gotten significantly more lean. I feel better cognitively. My skin has heavily improved and my inflammation is literally non-existent. So um, yeah, it's been incredible.
0: So I'm I'm not keto per se, uh, but, For sure, yeah. I, but I but I do have a I have a pretty low carb lifestyle. I was actually speaking to Danny Vega a couple of weeks ago. That podcast episode released yesterday, uh, oh, and I've spoken to many low carb advocates. And I must admit, you know, I'm I'm low carb enough that probably I'm I'm definitely fat adapted. Probably in in and out of ketosis here and there. Uh, but I I hear you. I hear you on. Um, The general level of uh, just feeling good. You just feel good when you're not fueling the fire with stuff that, you know, just kind of makes you hangry, kind of throws your blood sugar all over, all out of whack. You've got cravings and, you know, you're being driven by food. On a keto diet, I love my food and I love the choices I make. But I'm no longer driven by food, and that's amazing, amazing for me. So is the cognition that you get with just general yeah. sharpness, a lack of decline that you get when you have meals that you'd otherwise have when you have carb meals. So I get all that. I understand why you choose for those reasons. Because from a lifestyle perspective, I think it, I think it's a great diet, and so it's a long, sustainable diet that you could adhere to. But the science, as it relates to cancer and glucose, I, I think there's, I think there's robust science whether it be petri dish dish science or kind of kind of rodent um, observations but i don't think we've we've been able to go fully conclusive that a ketogenic diet is you know quote unquote the solution for cancer remission or cancer control unless i've unless you, you you've heard otherwise i think there is still a bit of speculation isn't there logan uh yeah i mean
1: there's always speculation you know i mean Keto definitely has a has a much higher success rate through brain cancer than it does any other cancer, and that's really where the focus has been. Um, but yeah, keto and keto diet can definitely help fight off cancer. I can't say that it's going to cure everyone's life, right? Because I, you know, everyone everyone's different. It's for us to find a cure. It has to almost cure everybody, and I just can't say that it will cure everybody. Because think about this too, right? I mean, every human is different. Somebody may not react the way that another person reacts to the keto diet. Um, somebody may be eating, you know, McDonald's keto diet food, right? The variable of having quality food, mm. especially it's for cancer deal. patients is huge, yeah. right? Like that's so, so vitally important. Um, so again, if you're doing keto and eating McDonald's, you know, burgers or, you know, lettuce wrap burgers that, I mean, like, and that's a whole different variable coming into play that could potentially bring back cancer. And so, mm. um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of variables into it from like Environment, your habits, your self belief, your, you know, the quality of food you're taking in. I mean, all those sort of things. There's tons of causes of cancer, um, and keto can definitely be one variable that can help prevent cancer from coming or shrink cancer or starve cancer. But it's not the one all be all sort of thing. It takes a lot more than just that.
0: Mm. Yeah, I would, I would, I would tend to agree. I'm no doctor, so hey, take what I'm about to say with a pinch of salt, but I would say a low carb lifestyle combined with a focus on nutrient density. That for me is the winning formula, generally speaking, in terms of I think, a diet that we're most likely to thrive on feel good, Um, whether it also has the added benefit of um, putting into remission, you know, cognitive issues that people have, which you know, there are lots of case studies suggesting that can and is a probable outcome as well as putting putting some disease states into remission whether it be you know obesity um diabetes cancers Uh, i i think i think we're going to continue to see fantastic research supporting a lower carb lifestyle because i think we are just obliterating our bodies with a heavy chronic exposure to processed refined and easily digested carbs so I, i i i applaud anyone who kind of flies the flag for keto. But let me ask you a question. You say you've been on the keto kind of diet and been fairly regimented for four years. Does that mean you're pretty um, controlled around the consumption of carbs? Or do you allow yourself some flexibility to have some hedonism here or there and you know, have a piece of cake or indulge in something when you see it? Or do you think no, it's 100% or nothing at all?
1: Yeah, I kind of have the 100% or nothing at all sort of thing, right? Like, it's been four years. I've never had a cheat meal. I've never had a bite of a pizza. I've never had a Pop-Tart cereal. I mean, nothing. Um, I haven't done it one time, and I I don't plan on doing it because for me, it's more of like a, you know, one all be all. It's either you live or you die. You choose. Um, And I'm not saying that, like, if I did that, anything would happen because I don't mm. think anything would happen because I'm already four years into all this. Yeah, I don't think you need exactly- to be the black
0: and white, but if that, that supports yeah. your mentality and you just want to go like, I just don't want to take a risk.
1: Yeah. I yeah, I just, I just, yeah. I just don't want to like eat a cake and then one day say, oh my gosh, this could, this could, this could, this could be it. This could be the tumor coming back. Right. And then mm. that, that shifts your mentality and that the mentality like really can cause cancer. Like the, the mind is so powerful and I, I, I don't mean to scare anybody, but let me. I'll, I'll give you guys a quick story. There's been people who have been misdiagnosed by doctors saying, hey, this is looks like extreme cancer in your body. It looks like your lifespan is about six months. And then they go back and the person actually dies six months later, but then they go back and they scan the whole person, their body and everything and say, oh my gosh, this is completely misdiagnosed. They didn't, they, 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 they didn't it's not that they had six months left to live. There was nothing even wrong. And the person died because in their mind, they're already anticipating their death, right? Like they're already like, I'm going to be dead. 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 And so in that mind, that's basically fueling the negative outcomes. And that's why for me, it's like, you know, I want to stick to what I'm doing that's working. So I can just continually have that confidence in my mind of how well my life is going to keep going with my overall health and, you know, my my true desires and beating this.
0: Are you doing anything else, Logan, from a, a lifestyle perspective that you believe is additive towards? Thriving and kind of managing disease risk, like for example, you know, do you do you engage in kind of breathing techniques? To, you know, are you, are you working out? Are you looking into you know other forms of therapy? Just generally, what what other things are you doing on top of the keto diet? Just to say, like you know, I'm I'm throwing everything out, leading the best life possible.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm I'm throwing everything at the fire. I possibly can. I'm doing uh, meditation every day. That meditation has. Truly changed my life like never before. I can't I can't express it enough. I mean, I know meditation sounds really difficult, and I totally understand. I thought I was the last person that could ever meditate, and it truly has changed my life. Um, so I do that every day. I um, do a lot of intermittent fasting every day. I do um, cryotherapy, where I go into a room that's negative negative 180 degrees, and um, you know that really helps reduce inflammation. I do red light therapy. I do. PEMF, um, which is pulse electromagnetic fields, where it's like you lay on this bed and it's extracting EMF from your body. And um, it's basically a cellular, a cellular generating workout, right? So it's basically your 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 body is working out internally, not externally. Mm-hmm. So the cells in your body are being worked out, which is very beneficial. I'm not a scientist to really explain it, but that's just a simple, you know, summary of it. Um so I do that. I do um uh, you know, I'm going to be getting into more hyperbaric chamber where you're going into a room where it's like, you're you're laying into a little tunnel basically is what it is. And it's almost like you're in an airplane, right? It's going to, it's going to be amplified with like oxygen. Um, I might be a little off on that, but it's just kind of a, you're laying in a tunnel sort of thing. So I do that. Um, yeah. And then I would say just to add to it is, you know, sleep is so important. Um, and then overall, I would just say, um, getting in the right nutrients and making sure that your food that my food is of you know sheer quality um and not you know any processed ingredients of any kind in that so
0: yeah it sounds like you're hitting all the bases man
1: yeah yeah it's always you know, i'm never stopping man i enjoy it too like i love doing like today i'm gonna go do cryo i'm gonna do red light and i'm gonna do some pemf i like it's a lot of fun and i just love doing it so yeah it's, it's enjoyable
0: cool man cool um Oh, yeah, I love that by the way, and everything you just said, I haven't done some of those kind of more uh, out there procedures, but you know, I'm with you with the breathing, I'm with you with the meditating, working out nutrient density, you know, pulling back on the carbs, and you know, putting yourself first, right with sleep and all of that stuff. I think, you know, whether you've been diagnosed or gone through some trauma that that you have pre- previously, I mean, I just think these are generally Great practices and you feel so oh, yeah, you feel you. so much better when you love yourself and you do you take the time out the way you're doing so good on you man um thank I've, you. I've got two other questions and we can kind of wrap this up the the questions are more around kind of mental game now so um you've got this book out called thank you cancer um I haven't read it yet um but I get the sentiment I get there's a lot of um gratitude you're you're putting out there in regards to everything that's happened to you. And hey, that's that's a great way to live because living in resentment is is no fun. But how are you how are you finding gratitude when yeah, some people would look at this and say, you know, woe is me and these things are have led me off the path to greatness that it's because of my weaknesses I'm unable to achieve the things that I wanted to. How you how have you managed to turn this around and find gratitude in what are harrowing experiences?
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, like it's, I I see gratitude because my life wouldn't be where it is today without cancer. I'm not saying I wouldn't be successful. I definitely would be. But what I'm saying is, is that, you know, being diagnosed with cancer forced me to change my life. And so for me to force myself in changing my life, it's now taught me how I can help change other people's life. People are going through similar things of depression, anxiety, anxiety, low self-worth, doubt, cancer, diabetes. I mean, I mean, the list goes on and on and on, right? And I'm like, well, if I'm able to, if I'm able to go through almost all of those things at the same time and overcome them and change my life for the better, then I can definitely help one person, two, three, thousands, and hopefully millions one day do the same thing. And so that's really been a calling of mine, um, in this journey. And, And it's, you know, it's allowed me to build a business, a full six-figure business of the keto, the ketogenic diet um, business called FusionLean.com. You know, that's allowed me to change so many lives through their diet, lifestyle, and then it's helped me meet so many amazing people, right? And so it's helped me meet so many people, and now I'm coaching people to start their business to change lives, and, you know, now I've been able to write the book and change lives that way, and plus, you know, if you look at it like this, you know, I wouldn't be on this podcast, I don't think, you know. <laughs> if it wasn't for all this and I wouldn't have an opportunity of being on here to change one or two or thousands of lives on this podcast, um, let alone, I wouldn't even have probably met you um, without all of that, you know? So am I glad all this happened? I wouldn't say that I'm, you know, super excited and happy it all happened, but, you know, it definitely has been a gift of really taking the horrible things in our lives and reshaping it and realizing that those are some of the best things that have ever happened to me and to, you know, other people's within themselves.
0: I love that man. I love that. I remember listening to um, um, Andy Frazella, uh mm, yeah, MFCEO. I remember oh, hearing yeah. him say something once, going, "Stop bitching about your struggle, because it's yeah. your struggle that is unique and is your is your badge, right? It's you know, and and where am I going with this? I, you know, I've often looked at my life and gone, do you know what? With at first glance." haven't struggled that much. Now, I can now reflect after saying that actually I have and you know, I can explain those. But it's easy to go like, I haven't had a major event like you have Logan. And therefore, sometimes you can be like, I need my event. I I need the moment of that penny dropping moment of realization, gratitude, you know, to to kind of pull this all together and make it my story. Because I think that story is so powerful, and it can fuel you and give you purpose. So remember here in Andy speaking, and going, do you know what? He's bang on because most people just want to avoid um, suffering, struggles, failures. Yeah, and, and they look at people that are struggling, like their business is struggling or they're, they're struggling at life generally uh, because they're trying. And you go, you know, poor him, poor Steve, because he's doing this, that, and other. But you know what? It's not, not poor him at all because that struggle is going to be part of this story. And that story mm-hmm. is going to have more power because you've, you've had to go through something and come out the yeah. other end. So I completely where you, completely get where you're coming from. And hey, let's face it, Logan, you don't have a choice. It's either you yeah. be grateful, or you just live a less than happy life.
1: And yeah. I, I mean, it's so yeah. great
0: that you've been able to find that path and then spread the message, man. I, I I appreciate you for that. Yeah, thank you so
1: much, Steve. I really appreciate that.
0: So let's close on emotional support then. So it's. I'm speaking very logically. I think you're speaking quite logically. We haven't had a lot of emotion in this discussion because you're out. You're out through the other end, and I can't relate because I've not really been too close to cancer, even me personally or through others. But this can't be a pleasant experience, especially if it's um, it's not something you can do surgery on, and something that's metastasizing and it's kind of owning you. It's late stage. You know, I, I have seen examples of people that get taken very quickly once you know their realization that cancer is kind of riddled through their body you talk about like having the head game to be able to get through that and having strategies and people around you but what is where is the emotional and mental support for people that are going through cancer diagnosis that are going through you know the identification of tumors is there like a a defined network or set of bodies that can really help and really understand and not just sympathize but motivate action
1: yeah i mean i would say like in my book you know it's very 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 end of the book there's a quote that changed my life it goes it always seems impossible until it is done by nelson mandela right cancer is so scary it's so deathly and we always think like because it's so deathly it's the world's number one you know most horrific disease of whatever, you know, like, because we think that we think it's impossible to beat it. But until we actually believe until we actually take action on seeing what is possible, we'll never actually know. And that's what's given me hope. And I think that's what that's what can give a lot of people hope as well. Um, And I know, you know, I mean, being around the right people having the right support can really help. And I know a lot of people may not have all of that. But I just want people to know, like, there is hope. Like, I don't care what what, what it is that somebody thinks is impossible. It always can be done. I mean, I can give you a list of people. I mean, Oprah Winfrey, Steve Jobs, I mean, Elon Musk. They've all failed countless amount of times. They've all had people tell them, no, it's stupid, you can't do it, you can't do it, you can't do it. And they would never, if, if they listened to that, they would never know. But they took action and they found out what truly is possible. And so that's the same thing that applies to cancer. It's like, you know, Cancer's horrible, but until you take action, getting a second opinion, doing your own research, kind of being your own doctor in a case, like you'll never actually know, and there is something there that, again, one person is not gonna have the answer to everything, right? You're not talking to the guy who's gonna solve every problem in the world and is gonna save every life in the world. You have to talk to numerous people, you have to hear numerous voices, and you have to do numerous actions to get results that you want. Um so yeah I mean that's, that's kind of the you know what I would say to people going through similar things
0: I, I guess the challenge is uh, where we you and I need to be careful is that you know I I whilst having had close relationships with these individuals I know people that have recently passed and they've passed through uh, prostate cancer and lung cancer and the diag from diagnosis to them passing away was a very short period of time and the demise of their health was rapid um when we mm. hear those stories and we generally get, as you say, scared to death about cancer and its a damaging, life-owning, terminal kind of nature. It's um, it must be hard to be able to relate to some of this, right? Because you you were young, uh, you know, it was considered benign or able to operate quickly. Uh, maybe you've got some resilience because of your age. I I'm, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not saying you're lucky at all. I'm I'm just saying that you know, some people don't seem to have the same luck or the same conditions and it's very late stage and there's uh, less they can do about it. And I'm trying to understand how we can talk to those individuals that have been given a a damning report, um, by their doctors. Like how, how can they see, see a path through this? And I know you're not a doctor and I'm not asking you to be very specific around like protocols, but it's to these people that I, I I struggle to understand how to make this conversation relevant to them because those late stage diagnoses can be, um, Pre heroin
1: yeah yeah for sure yeah i mean like you know i i mean my, my tumor was the worst tumor that could possibly ever be that be diagnosed with but i will say this i was blessed with the fact that it was a perfect egg there was no roots or tentacles from the tumor that were there and for those who do have those sort of things i want to give hope in the sense of like like i said like there is something there that can be done i'll give you an example Right, like there's people I've seen who have had like tumors almost filling up their entire brain that can't even be removed. And doctors said you'll be dead next week, right? And they've done their research and they've taken action on doing things like, you know, intermittent fasting. They've done full hyperbaric chambers, they've done all these sort of things. And I've seen people shrink their entire tumor. Right, so the doctor's giving them like a one month life sentence and suddenly they're now years later on being okay. And that's just a sense of like, you know, I mean, no matter how horrific a diagnosis is, there's always something that potentially could be done to not only transform your life physically, but mentally and emotionally. I know it's really, really hard to understand that, but the action that's taken physically of doing something that potentially could work Will fuel your mind and fuel your habits on saying, okay, I am trying, right? I am trying and I'm taking action. And so that's giving you hope. By not trying, obviously won't give us hope, but by trying and doing what may be possible could unlock something that you never thought was possible. And that's where you start seeing um, what you're truly capable of. So, like I said, I would really, I really want people to understand that there are stories out there that I've seen of people have a one week one month life sentence that they'll be dead literally they can't do anything about the tumor it's stuck there and i've seen people overcome those things in many many ways so
0: and you have the likes of how elrod for example that you know he's he's been dealt a few blows in his life from you know being told he's basically dead uh, at a car accident to, you know then running marathons then getting a cancer then getting another cancer and he's over- overcome those through I think dogged determination, self-believe, and action and being a being being fully committed to the actions that he believes are right. And I, I agree with you, man. I think, you know, your mental game is 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 so important. You know, you hear the likes of Wim Hof, for example, with his breathing techniques and you know, talking about happiness, strength. And a lot of that comes from you controlling your neurology. You know, and I think there's a yeah, hell yeah. of a lot of power there, but you need to believe that. Need to start with belief, man. So, um, listen, man, I've, yeah. I've really, really appreciated this conversation, Logan. I wish you all the best in the future with the book and uh, Fusion Lean. Um, I'm gonna put links in the show notes of both, so they can check out your book, they can check out your your fitness business. Anything else I need to be linking to, or
1: that you want to make a shout out to, so people can find you? Oh no, I mean, if if if, if anyone wants to look me up on you know Instagram, YouTube, just type in uh, Logan Sneed on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and that's where I'm at.
0: Cool, man. Any, any final comments or thoughts before we wrap a bow around this?
1: It always seems impossible until it is done. So anything that anyone's thinking about, like, I want to do this, I want to do that. I'm not sure. It always seems impossible until it's done. So that's my calling for them is take the step and do it. Beautiful, man. Beautiful.
0: Cool. Listen, I'll let you crack on. Enjoy your hyperbaric train burn, and all the other things you're going to be doing today. Um, yeah. F- have, have a fantastic 2020, and let's keep in touch. I'll get this out in the next couple of weeks. Awesome. Thank you so much, Steve. You're a star, man. Take care, man.
1: All right. See you. Bye.
0: Hey, just before you go, I want to know, did you enjoy that episode? It was a little different from what we normally cover, but I think it was still absolutely relevant to living your best life, to being your best. So here's a question I have for you. As I look through the rest of 2020, I have some amazing guests lined up that I've handpicked and selected based on the criteria of this show, which is intelligent people with something interesting to say around the focus of optimizing your life and self-discovery. But I'm not an all CNI. I don't see and hear everyone that potentially could add a ton of value to this podcast and really, you have a chance to be the eyes and ears for this show. So if there's anyone that you've come across recently, you think, wow, their story, their message, the information they have in their brain is worth sharing on the mics at AdaptNation, then please let me know. Just get in touch via AdaptNation.io and I'll absolutely look into whatever guests you suggest. All right, until next time, I'll let you crack on and be your best if you enjoy this show please consider leaving us a five-star review on itunes it really helps and of course recommend us to any friends or family who you think might enjoy the show feel free to get in touch with us via our website adaptnation.io or your favorite social media channel This has been Adapt Nation. Till next time, thanks for listening.